Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, what happened at the Gun Safety Forum yesterday, Harris is on the cover of Time Magazine, and an update on Sanders. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. For our main story today, yesterday MSNBC aired a six-hour presidential forum focused on gun safety. Sponsored by Giffords and March for Our Lives, the event was moderated by MSNBC's Craig Melvin. And during the event, we actually saw substantive differences between the candidates on gun safety policy. To start the event, Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak thanked Assemblywoman Sandra Howdigy, who had been present at the massacre two years earlier. She gave brief remarks before Sisolak spoke. He thanked Gabby Giffords and March for Our Lives. He also asked for and received an extended standing silent vigil. In the video, you can see the audience standing there, completely silent, for nearly a minute. What he said next was very emotional, direct, and raw. And I'm going to play it for you in a moment. But first, I want to make sure you have a moment to turn this off if you don't want to hear Sisolak speak about his experience on that day two years ago. It's not particularly graphic, but it is enough to make you emotional in public. The clip is just over one minute and ten seconds long, if you just want to skip ahead. All right, let's listen in. As you all well know, yesterday was a two-year anniversary of the October 1 tragedy that shook our city, our state, and our nation to its very core. I spent the day yesterday at memorials dedicated to grieving, remembering, and healing saw a lot of parents of victims and survivors that have struggled for the past two years in dealing with the situation. I spent a lot of time over the last two years recounting my own experiences. It was actually two years ago at this very moment on October 2nd that I actually walked the site of Route 91. I saw the bodies, saw the blood, and there was an eerie silence, and you would hear a cell phone ring. Someone hoping that their loved one would pick up that phone, that someone would answer that phone. And there was no one to answer that phone or to pick up that phone. So I think it's important to start this conversation by hearing that. He went on for much longer, but that's enough to get a sense of the stakes of this issue and how raw it is for the people who were in that room. The best roundup of the event that I've seen is by Vox's Herman Lopez. That's linked in the show notes along with the video of the entire event on YouTube. It is super long. All right, reading from Vox, quote, Every candidate on the stage Wednesday agreed on two policies, universal background checks and an assault weapons ban. This reflects a status quo going back more than two decades. In the 1990s, a Democratic-controlled Congress passed federal background checks and a 10-year assault weapons ban. Since then, Democratic efforts on guns have focused on building on the background check system to make it apply to more gun sales, such as private transfers, and renewing the assault weapons ban. End quote. But that, plus broad support for red flag laws, is where the agreement ends. The candidates had some real differences on licensing for gun owners. While many candidates agreed that people should need some kind of license to own a gun, they got into a state's rights argument about it. 
Former Vice President Joe Biden, whose gun safety plan I talked about at length yesterday, said licensing should be left up to the states. Reading again from Vox, quote, In defending his proposal, Biden flipped the rhetoric often used by Booker to argue for licensing, pointing out that driver's licenses are implemented at the state level. They're state licenses, Biden said. You don't need a federal license to drive a car. Booker argued that this would fail to solve the full problem. He pointed out that in states with stronger gun laws, most of the firearms used in crimes come from states with much weaker laws. In 2017, half of guns traced by police in Boston had out-of-state origins, and less than a quarter came from within the state. The rest had unconfirmed origins. The same trend, or worse, has been found elsewhere, from Chicago to New York to Mexico. If you do not have a federal licensing program, this is what you're creating, Booker said. We've created a system where you're only as safe as the state near you with the least restrictive gun laws, end quote. And things were far more divisive on the issue of mandatory buybacks for assault weapons. According to the Vox Roundup, of the nine candidates on stage, three said they would support a mandatory buyback program. Booker, Harris, and O'Rourke. Now, the most intense disagreement was between Buttigieg and O'Rourke. Buttigieg actually spoke first, many hours before O'Rourke even arrived, and here's the clip that set up a later response from O'Rourke. Now, yes, this is just a small part of what Buttigieg said, but listen in, and moderator Craig Melvin speaks first. One of the things that's, that's going to come up uh, over the course of the afternoon on the stage, I'm sure, uh, the idea of a buyback program for, for weapons. Um, and there's been um, uh, a bit of a divide, if you will, among Democratic candidates over whether that buyback program should be voluntary or whether it, sh- it should be mandatory. Uh, forget the, the political feasibility of it for just a second. Um, what do you think of a, of a buyback program from a policy standpoint? So as a policy, it's had mixed results. Uh, It's been tried. Uh, Usually what happens is the guns that are brought in are ones that are inoperable. Uh, They're like the the antiques, they're the family heirlooms, not the ones that are most likely to uh, uh, to be used in a crime. I think when we think about that part of the debate, it's fine, it's a healthy debate to have. Uh, But we've gotta do something now. And we have a way sometimes as a party, in my party, of getting caught uh, just when we've amassed the discipline and the force to get something done right away. Uh, A a shiny object uh, makes it harder for us to focus. Think about the things that we have an American majority to get done now that we have been, as a party, in a defensive crouch on for the better part of my life. We can get background checks done now. We can get red flag laws done now. We can get something done about the new sale of assault weapons now. We cannot wait for these other debates to play out even if they're healthy debates, to get that action done because lives are on the line. It also sounds like you don't think a buyback program is necessarily politically feasible. I'm more interested in the governing than, than the politics. I believe, especially at a time like this, that if we do the right thing, the politics will follow. Okay, so it's clear that Buttigieg supports expanded background checks, a new assault weapons ban, and red flag laws. Why? Well, because of course he supports those policies as a matter of principle, but also because he thinks those can get done but he is clearly against a mandatory buyback program. So let's hear from O'Rourke. This is actually the first question he responded to after sitting down, and it was clear he'd been watching the event earlier in the day. Listen in, and again, Melvin speaks first. Shortly after the shooting in El Paso, you, you, uh, shall we say, made some news, um, and you talked about 
um, this, this mandatory buyback program that, that you would implement if you were president. And I want to read some of, some of the response from members of your own party. Senator Chris Coons, a day after. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, a day after. First of all, we'll start with Senator Manchin. I think it was very harmful to make it look like all Democrats. I can tell you one thing. Beto O'Rourke is not taking my guns away from me. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. I don't know of any other Democrat who agrees with Beto O'Rourke. Uh, and then, of course, Senator Kuhn said that clip will be played for years at Second Amendment rallies with organizations that try to scare people by saying Democrats are coming from your guns. I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to, to either do over or clear up any confusion, or do you still stand by it? No, absolutely I do. And I, 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 stand, I stand with, with everybody here. Uh, I stand with this country. I stand with Gabby Giffords, who came to El Paso, Texas, and met with the victims from that August 3rd shooting, one of whom is still in the hospital more than, than two months later. Testament to what an AK-47 and the round shot from that weapon of war will do to your body. I was just with uh, another vec- victim, Memo Garcia, who, who just came out of his 21st surgery last night. Both kidneys, th- this is from one round, both kidneys hit, his spleen, his gallbladder, his liver, his intestine in three places. Um, and, and the guy is, is not yet through the woods. Meeting Memo, getting to spend time with his wife Jessica, who was also shot in, in both legs by a gunman with a weapon of war who killed 22 people in, in under three minutes. Uh, I'm standing with them. They ask me, how in the world can we allow this to happen in our country, and if it is wrong to sell AR-15s and AK-47s going forward, then it's also wrong for more than 10 million of them to be out there on our streets, in our homes, potentially used against us in Walmarts or in churches or synagogues or in concerts or in public life, really striking terror and fear into our fellow Americans. And I gotta tell you, I heard some of the comments made today on this stage. Um, Those who are worried about the polls and wanna triangulate or talk to the consultants or listen to the focus groups, and I'm thinking about Mayor Pete on on this one, who, who I think probably wants to get to the right place but is afraid of doing the right thing right now. To those, to those who need a weatherman, let me tell you that in this country, mandatory buybacks are supported by a majority of Americans. In Texas, a proud, but responsible gun-owning state, more than 49% of my fellow Texans support that, only 36% are opposed, and that is with no national politician talking about this, no money being spent in favor of that proposition. So to Chuck Schumer and Chris Coons and Mayor Pete and others, not only is it the right thing to do, not only will we save the lives of our fellow Americans, our fellow human beings, the American people are with us on this issue, it's time to lead. Okay, so yeah, that is a stark difference in both policy and approach. And it's clearly the biggest clash of the day between candidates, aside from some back and forth between Booker and Biden. And a reminder, none of the candidates were on stage at the same time, so this was a lot of responding to what people had said earlier or had written in their gun proposals. And let me add some brief context for our less musically inclined listeners about that last clip. When O'Rourke said, to those who need a weatherman, he's referring to a lyric by Bob Dylan in the song Subterranean Homesick Blues. The full lyric is, quote, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, end quote. So there is a super long video linked in the show notes along with two excellent summaries. 
Now, if you're looking for an issue where the candidates have clear areas of agreement and disagreement, you've got guns and you've got healthcare. So this is one of those. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Next up, Senator Kamala Harris is on the cover of the new issue of Time magazine. She is the latest Democratic primary candidate to grace that cover. Here's the list in order of who has previously appeared this year. Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, and Sanders. In the feature story accompanying that cover, Molly Ball follows Harris through Iowa, putting her campaign in context. Here's a bit from early in the piece. Quote, And so Harris is here in Iowa trying to regain her footing in the race. After a promising start in January, her campaign has stalled. While she is in the competition for the nomination, she's stuck in the mid-single digits in most national and early state polls and draws modest crowds. Perhaps three dozen people showed up to see her in Waterloo, where they were packed into a few rows in front of the stage so that the large room, an ornate century-old former department store, wouldn't look so empty. End quote. The piece goes on to discuss the reality of Harris's position. Her polling is okay. Her fundraising is good. She's definitely up there in the top five overall, but she's at the bottom of that five. Her path to the nomination is still possible, but it may rely on the collapse of at least one or maybe two other candidates at this point. So what is this profile about? Well, it focuses on the many ways in which Harris exists in two positions at once, both on the inside and the outside. She's a person of color. She's a woman. She's in the top five, but not seen as a leader. This idea of having one foot in both the in and the out group is a theme of the profile. Reading again from Time, quote, People are like, tell us your suffering, tell us how hard it was, Harris says, but I was raised by proud people. I was raised to know and believe we had everything we needed. It's easy to see how this upbringing shaped Harris's standing as an outsider, someone who had to convince others she belonged, no matter where she was. But she was the kind of outsider who was determined to get inside. She was always trying to find commonalities, even as she was aware of the difficulty of making herself understood in different contexts. The reality is that when you are the so-called minority, she says, you learn many languages, necessarily. End quote. And then we rewind to look at Harris's history in California politics, going back to the 90s, reading just two sentences from that bit. Quote, 
When Harris took over as San Francisco's district attorney, Latifah Simon remembers her pointing out all the framed photos of past DAs along a wall. The portraits were all of white men until her face appeared at the end of the line, a 40-year-old black woman, end quote. And from there, we hear the complex history of what that DA position meant for Harris, how opposing the death penalty put her at odds with major California politicians, how trying to reduce the homicide rate by reducing the high school dropout rate by in turn reducing truancy led to a political issue that still follows her today. Overall, this is an unflinching profile. It is not particularly flattering to Harris, but it does add a lot of context that is often missing from discussions of her work in California politics. At the same time, the article suggests that Harris's position between two worlds might be an outgrowth of her non-ideological approach to those worlds. Reading here from near the end of the piece, quote, By upbringing and orientation, Harris seems to have a strong sense of right and wrong, and a fierce drive to fight injustice, coupled with virtually no large-scale policy instincts. Presented with a problem, she looks for ways to solve it, starting with data, guided by few firm ideological convictions. All these grand ideas that academics and so many have about how you're going to transform the world, she says, but, you know, pay attention to the basics. Perhaps in these days of brutal ideological combat, that kind of pragmatism could be sold as refreshing. But in Harris's case, it seems to be having the opposite effect. Some of the attendees at her events in Iowa told me they don't think she's progressive enough. Others said she strikes them as too far left. End quote. So read the profile for much more here, including really notable sections about her early childhood, as well as how her prosecutorial experience has served her well in the Senate. It's linked in the show notes below the gun safety stuff, and it's not a super long article, but it is very useful in understanding how Harris got to where she is today. And last up today, an update on Senator Bernie Sanders. Yesterday's top story was about how he had a couple of stents inserted into an artery after a campaign event in Nevada. Now, since I recorded that show yesterday, there have been some minor updates, and here they are. Now, this ain't much, but it's what we've got. First up, many people made it clear both to me and lots of other journalists that the proper terminology here is medical procedure rather than heart surgery. And I did mention the phrase heart surgeon yesterday, which is confusing and probably paints a more intense picture of the procedure than its actual reality. Sanders is presumably now under the care of a cardiologist after the procedure was completed. Now, having said that, I don't actually know because his campaign, probably correctly, is not giving out minute-by-minute updates on their candidate's health. So what we know is what we knew yesterday, plus a tweet from Sanders yesterday afternoon, in which he did an excellent job of staying on message. Quote, Thanks for all the well wishes. I'm feeling good. I'm fortunate to have good health care and great doctors and nurses helping me to recover. None of us know when a medical emergency might affect us, and no one should fear going bankrupt if it occurs. Medicare for all. End quote. Essentially, everyone else in the field tweeted well wishes to Sanders, including Tim Murtaugh, who is the Trump campaign's communications director. So it is officially a bipartisan position that we hope Sanders has a speedy recovery. Okay, and this last bit just broke literally three minutes before I headed into the booth to record. Here is a tweet from CNN's Ryan Nobles. Quote, New, the Sanders campaign confirms that Sanders will participate in the October 15th CNN slash New York Times debate. End quote. 
Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, another long week, and it's only Thursday. I've got some interesting material for tomorrow, including a candidate anecdote and some stuff out of Georgia. But my main excitement today is getting these wacky window insert things put in at the studio. Supposedly, they make the room slightly quieter, you know, shielding it from outside noise like cars and stuff. So if the show today has a tiny little bit less noise, that might be why. Or it's just a really good placebo effect. I don't know. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.